is presented by the writers and illustrators of the future. They've been providing a means for new and budding writers to have a chance for the creative efforts to be seen and acknowledged. Welcome to Chatting with Sherry. Today we welcome back prolific and award-winning author Dean Wesley Smith. We're going to talk about his books, his inspiration, his writing, everything. Here's Dean. Hi, Dean. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. How are you in your end of the world? Oh, doing fine. Living in Las Vegas, and and uh, it's really hot here. Yeah. <laughs> Summer. <laughs> so, you know, we, we sort of live inside and at the health club, but never really leave the air conditioning much. Yep, I know. I, I Actually, when I was a little girl, my parents used to take us to Vegas, even though there weren't things for kids to go to. But, you know, we yeah. could go swimming, we could, um, and there were like little tiny game rooms. They weren't like Circus Circus. Circus Circus wasn't built when I first started going. So I've been going to Vegas longer than most people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've pretty much been here off and on my entire life, and I love it here. We moved down here about three years ago. And we're loving it, absolutely loving it. So I, things are good. I miss the old strip. Do what? I miss the old strip. Oh yeah, yeah. It had some fun stuff on it. Yeah. The new strip's starting to build up now, pretty nice. It's got a couple new big casinos, and the downtown area is where we live, and and uh, it's got some nice new stuff now too. So. Oh, they have it's new. Just, it's not the old Las Vegas anymore. They have new casinos in downtown too now, huh? Oh yeah, yeah, a big one called Circa, and it is, uh, it's a it's a monster right downtown. Wow, um, I didn't know about that. I I mean I knew about the Disneyland on the Strip. I didn't realize they were moving into downtown. Oh yeah, too. It's, downtown, it's the downtown area now has um, a covered um, four or five blocks that are completely covered, and it's called the Experience, and it's it's really amazing. Fremont Street Experience. Oh, it's Fremont uh, Street, it's, really? Yeah, it's completely covered, and music, and, and it's all in, uh, basically indoors. That's interesting. Um, Fremont Street's now an indoor giant mall. <laughs> that must be weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's quite it's quite fun. It really is. Um, my first question basically is, um, are you a reader? I mean, I know you're a writer, but what what do you read when you're not working? Oh, um, I, you know, I've been a full-time writer for since the 80s, and um, um, pretty much continuous reading. Um, uh, my wife, Christine Catherine Rush, and I, you know, the, the place is full of books here and everything. We're just, it's a constant reading. Right now, um, because I do a lot of workshops, I'm reading a lot of um, students work and student novels um, have challenges where, where that comes in and, and if a student's novel catches me I, I read it um, I don't really give feedback on it um, because I don't want to influence it in that way but um, um, I do a lot of that I read a lot of thrillers um, but um, pretty much everything I'm across the board I read everything everything that looks interesting that comes across comes in the door <laughs> Do you read classics? I mean, like, um, like uh, you said you read thrillers. Do you read like, uh, like, classic thrillers, or do you read oh, only I, the newer stuff? Over the years, stuff? I've read them all. Um, at one point 
another, all the classics, all the mystery classics. I, I'm a person who studies fiction a lot, um, and and because I, I teach it a lot, and I like studying it and studying where the roots are. So I'm a, I read, um, used to have and, and still do have a large digest collection, but I read most of the the pulps, um, and all the way back from you know the uh, Doc Savages and the old pulp magazines back in the 10s and 20s of last decade. Um, and, uh, you know, just, just the, the, the foundations of how we got to where we are right now is, is fiction. I've read it um, and looked at it and studied it and everything else. And so that's the, uh, I do a lot of that still. I have a lot of books on the history of fiction, the history of mystery, the history of pulp writing, um, all of that. Those, those are my passions. So I, I study history. I've read all the classics that you know that they give you in school, but that was a long time ago, and have no desire to go back to reading those again. Uh, so I I actually I understand. I mean I'm a I'm a big mystery fan, and um, my I still I I could pick up any Agatha Christie and be happy. Um, yeah. Yeah. That that she had a certain um, form about her. That's for sure. The. Uh, um, I, I read and reread regularly the John D. McDonald, Travis McGee series, because uh, uh, when he with he did that, um, I uh, he did things that I keep finding. You know, he was such an expert on certain things and characterization and all kinds of stuff that you can reread those over and over and continue to learn from them. Mm -hmm. So Travis McGee is one of my favorites. Do you read uh, like modern thrillers like uh, like Dan Brown? Oh well, yeah, I haven't read uh, Dan Brown in a couple last couple books he put out. Um, but yeah, all the modern theory, uh, thrillers that are the uh, um, work I read a lot of Kuntz. I read uh, Baldacci. Um, um, every so often I will read a Patterson, but it usually has to be just with Patterson unless I like his co-author. Then I'll read that. Um, I, I read um, some of Kessler's um, thriller series, um, things like that for the story. Um, so yeah, across the board, uh, I wrote a lot of thrillers over the years. How do you feel about different uh, like historical novels that bring mm -hmm. real life characters and mix it with fictional characters? Yeah, you know, if someone does it right, um, I like that. But uh, it's it's uh, there's not a lot of good ones <laughs> that I can think of um, that do that. I just read a really good one. Um, it, it, I'd never heard of the murder. There was a murder of a young woman called Molly Dean, and oh, sure. it, oh, sure. it was um, uh, in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. And uh, this uh, lady that I was interviewing wrote a book called The Portrait of Molly Dean. And she um, she couldn't stand that it wasn't solved because it's such a nice girl who was just trying to create a life for herself, and so she solved it. <laughs> she created yeah, a character and she yeah. solved it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, one of my uh, book series is called the Cold Poker Gang, and it's uh, retired Las Vegas detectives solving cold cases like that. That you know, and some of that I base out of you know cases that were actually cold cases and other times you know I just make up the case but I base it in Las Vegas here they're all in Las Vegas and I base it in like a, an abandoned hotel or 
things like a shuttered hotel, things like that. So I like using real stuff out of the past to also, um, I think I have 11 or 12 books in that Cold Poker Gang series now. And I really like playing. Playing the game of the trying to create something from something that hasn't been solved. Exactly. Um, so when did you begin writing? Were you a child? Oh, no, no. I hated writing when I was a kid. Just loathed it. Um, I was, um, early 20s, uh, and, uh, just, uh, basically, um, was in a class. I was an architecture major at, at, in school. Um, I have a master's in architecture, and, and, um, I had to take an English class that forced me <laughs> to write some poetry and uh, mail them actually to markets and um, I ended up winning one of the national contests um, the only person that had ever been published out of the university at that point um, and um, even the instructors and I ended up winning one of these national poetry contests and that sort of got me interested and I started writing a little more poetry and wrote a couple short stories and sold them and stuff this was back in um, the early 70s I sold my first short story in 1974 and uh, been doing it ever since. And I started really pushing on the writing in 1982 um, and uh, never really looked back. Sold my first novel in 87 and have sold a couple hundred, I have published a couple hundred novels since then, at least 200. And you said you're very prolific. How do you do that? Uh, I spend more time in the chair than other people. I write about a I write about a thousand words an hour, with a break. And um, to be prolific, you just spend more time writing. You know, I, I got past all of the myths of writing and all of the rewriting and all of that, all of those myths that are just deadly to writers. And um, so when I write something, um, you know, I write into the dark. I never plan out ahead. And um, you know, even the very you know, intricate puzzle mysteries. I just write into the dark completely. And um, when I'm done, uh, because I clean up as I go, I don't write sloppy like a lot of people do and, you know, and then try to fix it later. I don't do that. That's just a waste of time. I, I write the best I can as I write. And when I'm done, I'm done. The book is done. And so, you know, and I can average about a thousand words an hour doing that and kind of recycling and fixing typos and adding stuff in as I go along. And when I get to the end, the book is done. And so, and I just spend more time writing. I have a, a, a work ethic like a lot of the bestsellers do. And I am a New York Times bestseller and a USA Today bestseller. I've written under, we can't figure out exactly how many pen names, but it's been a lot. And, um, um, we just can't seem to remember them all. <laughs> Every so often one will pop up and I'll go, oh, yeah, I wrote that, you know. I kind of visualized you typing into two different things at the same time. No, <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a serial, one after another, you know. I, I finish something and then write something else. But there's been many times I've finished a novel, you know, in the middle of a day and that evening started another novel, you know. All those myths about, oh, I need to rest or I need to do that. Now, there have been many days that I've done 12, 14 hours of writing. Um, you know, it's just it's just a myth about. Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting alone in a room and making stuff up. 
that's not a hard job. <laughs> Anybody who claims that's hard is crazy. Um, in fact, I don't even call my writing work. I, I call it, um, I'm just writing. It's not work at all. And uh, that helps too. Getting those attitudes out, you know, don't call your writing work because work is something you hate and don't want to do. Um, so I just, I don't call my writing work in any way, shape or form. And uh, I am very, you know, I just clear out all the critical voice and all the myths and just do the best I can and release it. And then start over and do something else the best I can. That's why I write across all genres. Um, I, uh, there's a few smaller subgenres that I have never tackled. Um, I could never do Regency. It doesn't seem to fit my mind, even though I understand it now. Um, I could never really do it. Um, so, bottom line, it's it's been um, really fun. Been doing <laughs> it, making a living at it for well since I, I went full time in 1987. Do you have uh, advice uh, for a new writer that's just starting out? One advice for a new writer. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, just yeah. you know, something to get them over their maybe the fear of the blank page or uh, not sure about which storyline they should go for, or how to focus. Well, that's, see if they if they have those kind of worries, they're planning ahead, and that's deadly um, because that brings everything in and all the miss. The, the thing I would do is I would find people to learn from that are farther down the road than you are. That means that everything you learn from an English teacher, unless that English teacher is a very prolific novelist and you want to be a novelist, everything you learn from the English teacher is wrong. They're not novelists. They don't know what they're doing. Um, and you know, if you want to learn how to be a novelist, then go learn from novelists who have written 20, 30, 40, 50 novels um, or more. Um, that's that's what I would suggest to beginning writers. Don't listen to all of the, oh, you must rewrite everything, you must polish, you must do 27 drafts, you must do all of that. There's a reason that the big bestsellers, and, you know, and if I cared, um, I would do the same thing. There's a reason the big bestsellers um, tell people they do multiple drafts. When I'm out in public talking to just readers, I tell them I do three drafts. Um, because the myth of rewriting is so thick in our system, and everybody's learned it from English teachers, that um, um, you know, they, if you want to sell your book, you have to tell them that you do drafts. Um, but that's why the you know the big writers will say, oh, I've done 17 drafts at times and things like that. Well, that's all hooey. Um, they you know no no professional writer <laughs> does that. We we all work and fix and clean stuff up as we go, but. By and large, nobody goes back and rewrites 17 times. If they did, if you just did the math on that, of course, they wouldn't be professional writers. They'd never make enough. Um, the, the reality is, is they have to tell the readers that because the readers want to spend $20 maybe for a hardback or $30 for a hardback. And if the reader realizes that, that you wrote that book in a week and a half and then hasn't, haven't really looked at it again, um, they're not going to want to spend $30 on your book. It, it, it devalues your book. But if you told the reader that you spent, oh, I spent 10 drafts on that and I worked on it for years, um, then $30 is, well, I better, I can spend $30. It gives the product value. Um, and the problem with 
the real way that writing actually works in the real world for real fiction writers like me and Chris and, and lots of others is that we write the story that wants to be written and then we move on. Um, and But you can't tell readers that. You know, I tell, I'm very obvious about it because I'm talking to writers. And and so I'm honest with writers. I don't I don't say, oh, you need to rewrite 15 times because that's not the truth. You don't. In fact, the more you rewrite, the worse the book gets. Um, you, you polish all your energy, all your own voice, all the character voice, you polish it all out. And uh, so if you just write, leave it alone, and move on, you'll sell more copies. <laughs> and all long-term professional writers have learned that. Um, some of us took longer. I took seven years to learn that lesson before I stopped killing my own stories and started just moving on. And, but in, for seven straight years, I followed English teacher advice. Then I started following Bradbury and Harlan Ellison and some of the others who became friends over the years. And um, they, were, they were the ones that taught me the reality. Uh, I met Bradbury. He was a really nice man. <laughs> Say what? I said I met Bradbury. He was a really nice man. Oh, yeah. He was a great guy. Yeah, I... I um, had many a drink with him oh, <laughs> over okay. the years. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I got very lucky in my early days because I had the right attitude and I was willing to sit and listen and learn. And a lot of uh, the people who ended up being my mentors were the big names of the time. Um, you know, the, the Harlan and, and not so much Ray. Ray was more of a go have a drink. Um, you know, and things like that. But the uh, Jack Williamson and Fred Pohl and people—they're all gone now, of course. But uh, the the greats of when I was coming in, I was very lucky to have them as my mentor. Uh, yeah. So passing it forward, passing it forward to new writers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I understand you do workshops. Yes. We do a lot of workshops, actually. Um, we started it way back. Chris and I used to, um, at conventions, do what people called the Dean and Chris Show, which was talking about the realities of publishing. And this was back in the in the late 80s, early 90s, and in that we were we were people who said, "This is what it's really like, folks. Um, don't listen to this myth. It's over here." And then uh, through the 90s, we did some other stuff, and we started in the early. In fact, in 1999, we started a deal called a master class where people would come into where we lived in, on the Oregon coast at that point and, and you know, spend a couple of weeks learning, learning business, learning writing, learning craft um, from us. And then, because at that point, you know, we had, each of us had about 100 novels published in traditional publishing and, uh, and we're doing lots of things. And that just sort of kept growing. And at one point, people said, why don't you put some of this online? And we... I think it was about 15 years ago we started doing a couple classes online and it's sort of just grown and so now we have uh, I don't I haven't even bothered to count we do regular monthly workshops um, seven or eight of them and then we have all kinds of other classes it's all recorded it's all video um, almost all of them you do at your own pace and if you want to find out and take a look at them it's at WMG hyphen publishing hyphen workshops hyphen and hyphen lectures dot teachable dot com. So 
So it's WMG Publishing Workshops and Lectures dot at teachable dot com or dot teachable dot com. And uh, that's the, the website, and uh, it's on Teachable. And I think if you search WMG Publishing on Teachable, you'll probably find it too. But we have pages. I mean, <laughs> there's probably 150 to 200 different types of workshops, from lectures to pop-up, you know, classes that are focused, and you get to write a short story that I read, and and then then there's. Um, the regular monthly classes, and then there's the old monthly classes that we have retired to the classic status now. Um, on the regular monthly classes, I read all of the of the assignments. And there's five weeks of assignments, and I read all the assignments and things like that. So it's very extensive. It's like a university for writers, both cla both uh, craft and business. And uh, you know, Chris and I teach them all. Cool. Um, yeah, it's very, very extensive. I understand that you're also very involved with Writers of the Future. Well, there's there's a reason for that. Um, back um, when I was getting going, um, I sold my second short story to the very first volume of Writers of the Future. Uh, second sale, second professional sale, was to the Writers of the Future Volume 1 I, have, I was in volume one, and I kept going. Um, Algis Budras was one of my, who at that point was the editor of Writers of the Future, was one of my mentors. And um, um, I kept supporting Writers of the Future early on. And then when I was um, in and out of uh, New York, I was approached by Pocket Books, the Star Trek division of Pocket Books. I wrote a lot of Star Trek books. I wrote, I think, I have my name on, a, my own personal name on about 30 or 35 Star Trek novels and other projects and they came to me and said Dean you want to do a new writer contest patterned after writers of the future only for Star Trek stories and I went yeah I'll edit that and so every year for 10 straight years I put together a, a book called Strange New Worlds I read which those. Is now, yeah the name of the new series coming but Strange New Worlds was a uh, basically new writers you couldn't have sold more than three stories um, but it was all Star Trek, and uh, I did that. In fact, a lot of writers that I bought have now gone on to major careers, but uh, I was the editor of that for 10 years, and um, and, and then it ended, um, and had a blast, just had a blast, you know, doing that. Um, and so at that point, they were asking me at Writers of the Future to be a judge, and I couldn't because I was judging doing Strange New Worlds. And so when I finally, when we finally ended Strange New Worlds, they, you know, Writers of the Future called and said, would you be a judge? And I said, absolutely, I'd love it. So for the last decade, I think pretty close, I've been a judge on Writers of the Future. And I go down and, and you know, do an hour or so lecture um, to the, for the writers that are, you know, they're winners because they have a class, Writers of the Future does a class for all the winners and they bring them in like four or five days ahead of time. Um, the other reason that Writers of the Future is special to, to me and Chris is that um, Algis Budras wanted to test this workshop idea. And it was like the third year after. And so AJ went around and invited um, 12 of the top writers he saw coming in. Um, and he knew Christine Catherine Rush, who lived in, in um, Wisconsin. 
and he knew me and we were selling to magazines and all over the place. I was selling Twilight Zone and he, Chris was selling to other markets. And so he picked the top 12 writers that he thought were, had a future out of the country and, you know, and invited us to this special workshop. Um, we had to pay our own way. The workshop was free, but we had to pay our own way to get there. And he told us about it about a week and a half ahead of time. Wow. <laughs> and it was in Taos, New Mexico. And of course he said, well, it's free. You got to pay your own way. And I had, I was just bartending and, you know, and selling short stories at that point. And, uh, and, and he said, but it's going to be Algis Budras, Jack Williamson, Fred Pohl, and Gene Wolfe four of the top classic names and all four of those were going to teach just 12 of us for an entire week and I said absolutely I'll be there <laughs> just tell me when and where and because that that kind of thing nobody can turn down although a couple writers ended up turning it down which I found mind-numbingly stupid um, you, you don't get a chance to sit with and learn from four of the top writers in history you know and only be 12 of you at, you know we're basically got to sit at their feet and Chris was one of them and that's where I met Chris. Aww. And we've been, we've been together for 35 years now. Since that was 35 years ago that they did that. So, yeah. So, on your anniversary, you toast writers of the future. <laughs> yeah, we basically. And, and AJ for inviting both of us. And both of us having enough common sense to say yes. Um, and so, we've been together as partners ever since. Um, are you going to be judging this year's? I, I, it, yeah. it is in person this year. I'm not sure. I get confused now. Yes, yes. It's going to be in person. Actually, the last two years, the one they canceled last year for the pandemic, and then this year they're going to do them both together. And I think it's this fall. Um, and um, um, I'm not. I'll, I'll be down there. I will be in Hollywood for that, um, and to meet meet all the winners from two years. And so, you know. It, it's great fun, and I will be there and trying to help where I can. Cool. And um, what do you think about how, the way it works? I mean, do you enjoy doing the seminars with the new people, the the winners? I, I'm only there. Uh, basically, they have uh, other writer, other major writers, um, Tim Powers, I think, and and uh, Orson Scott Card, and people like that that are teaching. For the four or five days, I just come in and stir up the pot for an hour or two. Um, <laughs> but I'm there and meeting them all. I think what Writers of the Future does is is just stunningly amazing for writing. Um, it is it it allows writers to actually meet other writers. They fly them in for free for all of this stuff. They they put them up in hotels. There's an an award ceremony that, that basically can rival the Oscars. Um, you know, everybody's in tuxedos and and it's 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 really 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 amazing um, support for young writers. Um, and so as an an old timer in the field now and been around for 40 years doing this, um, I think it was 37 years ago that my first my story was published in the first writers of the future and for the 35th volume um, um, Bob Eagleton who's a friend um, did an incredible cover and Bob Eagleton I think is one of the judges and uh, he did an incredible cover for uh, volume 35 of writers of the future and they called me and said would you like to write the story around it so I have a story in volume 1 and I have a story in volume 35 and I think we're two or three years past that now. I think we're up to 38 or so. So um, 
it's it's uh, and, and doing that for that long, helping writers for that long, and how many of us came out of that program is just just startling. Um, Chris and I decided that after you know what helped start our workshops to help writers was Writers of the Future and the fact that they do that workshop and they do it for free. We charge for our workshops because we have to, but but the uh, reality is is it all based out of that Algis Budras workshop um, 35 years ago. Um, I know you're very prolific and I know you have a lot of books, but is there something that's coming out that's a favorite? No. I, a lot of books. Just a ton of books. Um, again, I, I'm in a challenge. I'm 70 years old and I decided to challenge myself. Um, my birthday's in November, middle of November. And I decided, uh, you know, that I would try to publish um, 70 major books. I'm not talking about short stories. I, I write 60 or 70 short stories a year on average. Um, and so, and I have my own magazine. Actually, what I could promote is my own magazine, I suppose. I do a magazine called Smith's Monthly. And Smith's Monthly has, usually has a novel in it. Um, it also has um, five or six original short stories and then something I'm, I'm serializing. So it's about seven, 60 to 70,000 words every month of all my fiction. I fill the entire magazine every month with just my fiction. Um, and, um, and so, and it's, you know, it's, you can subscribe to it, smithsmonthly.com. And, um, and it's, it's kind of fun. I do anything I want. So there'll be a story that's, that is twilight zoning right next to a fantasy story, right next to a mainstream story. You know, every, anything I write goes in my magazine, um, at this point in time, unless it's, you know, contracted for or something by somebody else. Um, and so that's every month. So you can just, if you want to know what novel I'm writing one month or another, um, pick up Smith's Monthly. I'm, I'm on issue um, 52, yeah, 52 uh, right now. So I've done it 52 months. And uh, what is, is there a website for that, or is that just under your website? Yeah, smithsmonthly.com. Oh, okay, that's pretty simple. Yeah. <laughs> or you can get a, a, a publishing company that... Uh, publishes a lot, uh, almost all of my stuff is WMG Publishing, WMG Publishing.com, Publishing Inc.com, WMG Publishing Inc, Inc.com, and that will have everything on there that I have put out over the years that is not, you know, was not Star Trek or something like that. I also wrote Men in Black and I wrote Spider-Man and I wrote tons of other stuff like that. That's great. Um, we've come to the end. Um, I want to thank you for your time. Um, oh, thank you. And uh, I, I hope you guys enjoy the the Writers of the Future um, workshop yeah. and banquet and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. And, and I, I do hope uh, writers um, don't miss a deadline on Writers of the Future. It's the best market there is for young writers. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. Okay. Thank <laughs> you.